We are back again with the Lineals Podcast. We're back here doing doing this whole this whole big old shebang again. I'm Smith, and I'm here yeah. with uh, Seth. Wait, let me get that clean. Seth. <laughs> no, no big titles for you this time. No, uh, no uh, jobs you do. No, I think I think now that we've done twenty episodes, I don't have to I don't have to gas myself up anymore. I think people know that I'm the most pivotal part of the podcast at this point. I mean, let's not forget the episode I put out uh, that was that was done bad or maybe good. I don't know. Let's not forget the time that you went and ruined an episode by adding your voice back <laughs> into it. I, I had people who were like who listened to it for like twenty minutes and were like, "Hey, this was really good, but I, should I only hear Seth?" <laughs> yeah. Well. They were just trying to be nice. What they really meant was, this is really good, full stop. <laughs> They're like, I love the part where Seth is silent for 10 minutes and just says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, every once in a while. Like, we could tell he was deep in thought. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, so, uh, we have had ourselves uh, an interesting week here, haven't we? Yeah. It's been a, it's been in a lineals nation. We've had some big stories come up. Yeah, and the thing I want to talk about just to start us off here is uh, is uh, America and the the bombing of the country of Syria. Now, now, Seth, do you know why we bombed Syria? I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you here. A long time ago, when we started talking about Syria on the news, maybe like two, three years ago, I kept hearing the word Syria. And I never looked up what the deal was with it. And then at one point, I ended up being the Andy Dwyer meme where it got so sad how long I didn't know it was one on Syria that I was too afraid to ask anyone. So I actually have very little to no idea about anything in Syria. I don't even know where Syria is, to be honest. I'm, I'm just going to be entirely honest with the whole world right now. Well... I mean, I, I gotta say, I kind of admire that because it, it's remember, remember when uh uh what was his name Gary Johnson was that was that his name? Yeah, the third party. Candidate. Yeah, when he gave that interview about when they were like, uh, what would you do about Aleppo? And he was like, what is Aleppo? Uh, yeah. And uh, people were like, oh, how dumb, how terrible this guy. You know what? Actually, that fucking rules because <laughs> I, I would be happy the president didn't know where Aleppo was because he couldn't bomb it then probably. You know, that's true. But so like the Syrians been having a civil war for a while because they have a guy who's in charge over there uh, named Assad that is uh, admittedly a, a, a bad dude. But the terrorists, not terrorists, Jesus, what am I talking about? I guess we would call them terrorists. The rebels are also reportedly not the greatest people ever. So the people of, of Syria are kind of trapped between these two uh, uh, bad options, right? And Assad recently uh, allegedly used uh, poison gas on uh, a town of people killed. Like Would that. you say that they're stuck between a rock and a sod place? Hello. So they used poison gas on this town of like forty people, and, and uh, or supposedly, anyways. Um, and you know what? Maybe he did, and uh, he probably did. Who gives a shit, right? But okay, that sounds callous of me. But, like, yeah. for real, though, uh, it sucks for the Syrian people this is happening to them. But the way I see it, it's happening because we started shit over there in the first place, right? Yeah. So, where is it written down that we have to go and bomb those people because they bombed themselves? What's what's that got to do with America? Why are we... Yeah, where is the rule book for all this, you know? Yeah, where's it, where does it say we're the policeman? Yeah, what's stopping... I mean... What's, what's the difference between us now and just real fascism, you know, deciding that we are the world police, you know? I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like, um, sure, it sucks that he's poison gas on the people, that's terrible. But it's not our responsibility or our job to go and kill more Syrians, you know? We're not helping them here, we're killing more of them and not even solving the problem. We dropped... $224 billion worth of bombs on Syria. And what did it accomplish? Is is Assad dead? Is life better for them? No, it's not. It's the same old shit. You know, instead we could drop $224 billion worth of social programs and uh, actual economic benefits to citizens of our own country. How about we fucking to, give... To improve our own welfare. How about we fucking give um, uh, Flint, Michigan their water back? How about we do that? With that money. Yeah, how about we... How about, how about Flint has water instead of Mark Zuckerberg having a job? It's a good point. 
But yeah, uh, so that, when it happened, it was a very I was very tense because you know the Russians uh, are working with Assad, and so they were shooting down our missiles and all this kind of stuff, and uh, they were uh, on the Russian state TV saying, "Prepare for nuclear war," and all I think is. People were like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just Syria. They're a tiny little country that can't fight back. And I'm like, y'all are forgetting that Russia's involved? And while I don't think that Russia wants to end the world necessarily, all I can think back to is when World War I happened, literally everyone was saying, oh, it'll be a short little war. We're going to beat, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and solve this little problem. It'll be over in three months. And I think about that, but with our current technology, and it fucking scares the shit out of me. Yeah, World War One. Ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah, it happened to us. And, yeah, I mean, Russia has, I mean, it's no news to anybody who has their eyes open that Russia is a bit of a hot topic ever since the 2016 election um, and how they interfere with our political system and how, you know, dangerous they are as an ally and all this stuff. And, yeah, this, this bombing of Syria has just brought up whole new issues with our uh, relationship with Russia. And, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a, have a healthy fear of what will or won't happen. Now, wait a minute, Seth. Hold, hold, hold the phone, though. Okay. Is this a terrible move that brings us closer to the brink of war with the other, you know, big remaining superpower of the world? Or was it a carefully calculated political move where Trump spent an entire week warning this warning that we're going to bomb Syria so that Putin could move his soldiers out of the way and therefore not kill them and we would create the illusion of war between our two countries to distract from the fact that billionaires on a global scale are controlling our political system and extracting resources from us and uh, Trump and Putin providing cover for them. Now, where, where, which one's the galaxy brain, Seth? Hmm. Uh, hey, why not both? <laughs> I mean, galaxy brain knows no limits. That's, in fact, they might just stack on top of each other. That's actually what I believe. I be- to be entirely honest. I don't think Trump is capable of the, of the level of political sophistication that this, this requires, but I'm p- perfectly sure he could do it accidentally. Yeah, because something I've, I've said about Trump ever since he won the election is... He's as much. We can call him dumb all we want. He's not a dumb person. He did end up winning the election because he knows how to play people. That's what he's done his whole life. You know, he played people to get to get this job, but that does not make him good at politics, and it doesn't make him smart either. And like you're saying, I do think that he could do plenty by accident and very little on purpose. Yeah, and uh, and plus when they when they were he was reading his statement to the country. You know, like, God, how far have we fallen since FDR gave his fireside chats to the point where Donald fucking Trump is reading a, a, a new press release to the people of, of America in the middle of the night to start bombing a country. But as he's reading it, there's pictures of over in the corner. You got you got John Bolton, that mustachioed fucking freak, as he's holding the press release in his hands and he is going through it line by line, making sure Trump reads everything exactly right. And that's the level of hand-holding that our president needs from literally the worst people in the world. Yeah, John Bolton looks kind of like the caricature of any like, robber baron from back in like the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. That's literally what he looks like. It's just he wants to deal in death instead of, I don't know, oil. Yeah, not that there's a whole lot of difference. That's true. That is true. So... Here we are again, uh, and here's the thing. We can get all uh, mad about this thing, and I am mad about it, right? But we've, yeah. we've been bombing Syria for years, you know? It's been low-grade bombing of the rebel... Uh, oh, sorry, of, the, uh, of various positions across uh, Syria. This is just a, a big, a big you know, strike happened in one day, and it was big, big and fancy, and we got everybody saying, oh, mission accomplished, and stuff like that. So this is not, this is not a different business as usual, but it just fucking serves to underline how much the American foreign policy sucks. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's global. Like, everyone, it, I've talked to people a lot this week about this especially. It's just that everywhere um, you go, pe- things are at a boiling point, no matter where you are. Um, I've got several friends who are, like, from India and Pakistan and have, like, have, you know, spent a lot of time in, like, Europe and they're just like, yeah, ev- everywhere is kind of at a weird state right now of almost imploding. And 
I don't know. It's just it's a very it's an interesting time to be alive. I don't I don't know if it's the best time. But then again, as we've discussed, there there's never been a best time to be alive. Um, so yeah, I just I just think we're in a weird place, and you know stuff like this bombing of Syria, um, and even you know news we'll get to in a minute about you know the Mark Zuckerberg stuff, even stuff like that is just contributing more and more to this boiling over that uh, we're having uh, all over the world. I have a question for you, actually. Yes. You have friends, you said, from, from both India and Pakistan. Yes. Um, have they ever expressed any, this is might be a weird question, any, like, tension between their, because there's a lot of tension between India and Pakistan. Oh, yeah, they've told me all, they've told me all, they said, some, what I understand, um, young people from both places are pretty chill, and are like, hey, maybe we, you know, shouldn't do this, because... Um, Everyone I hang out with is, you know, early 20s, and they, yeah, it's one guy's from Pakistan, a couple from India, and they're just like, yeah, we don't have any problem with each other. It's kind of a, an old thing for them. Um, but, yeah, back home, it's it's very big. I know there's, like, like c- certain movies don't get played in Pakistan or India, if, even if they do small things. Like, I know I heard one time there was this movie that, um, it was actually about, about uh, Pakistan and India working together on something and it was a really good movie and then like at one point in the movie they like raised both flags and they raised uh, India's first and then they did, they wouldn't play the movie in Pakistan for that reason. Wow. Uh, and it was and it's just really small stuff like that. Um, but yeah, they've, they've told me a lot about, you know, I mean, it's I'm, I'm actually not sure how long it's been going on now, you know, the borders disputes between the two. It's been a long time. Um, but yeah, they, they yeah, I, I know a lot about the tension up there and so that and that once again, that's that's one of those things where like we can you can think so much about where you live and what things are like in America, and then like you just learn something about a different place, and you're like, man, stuff's stuff's tough there, and it just yeah. And like that's it. There's all these things going on all around the world, things that not only that you can read about on the news or hear from people, but even things you can't hear and things that you you'll never know that are just all contributing to the world just being in a really a state of turmoil at the moment. Well, it gives me hope that the young people are not uh, down with this whole war shit, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's a common thing in a lot of countries is that young people are just not into it, you know, because life's tough and we don't want to be fucking going off and fighting and killing and stuff. Yeah. But it feels like it's been a constant throughout history as the young are usually opposed to war. And then as we get older, we become more predisposed to it or whatever. And so... But I think, I think that's changing as well. Well, yeah. I, th- I think that we're... We're getting to a point where people are, you know, kind of no war, and they say that way. Well, I think, first of all, there's the interconnectedness of us all. You know, we can all talk to each other on the internet now, and we have a, a more common ground between us, right? And a, yeah. a better sense of history, in some senses, even though I saw a report the other day that memory of the Holocaust is fading and people don't know the facts behind it. Uh, but I do feel like people are starting to comprehend how global war could be, you know, and how it could be absolutely devastating for everybody involved. And no one wants to be part of that. Especially with the technology we have today. Yeah. You know, war wars were possible back in, you know, 60s or whatever, because, you know, you can only, you only do so much damage, but now you could actually irreparably damage the entire world um, if enough people get involved. And my, my opinion, and I think the Illinials' opinion is that war is bad and dumb and we should not do it. Uh, yeah. I can't think of a good reason to go to war uh, that's not like existential for us. And who the fuck is threatening America? Who is who is who is going to attack us? Exactly. Nobody. But you know, getting off the topic of foreign policy, dumb shit. I heard. I I remember you saying you had a story of triumph and heroism for us all. All right. Yeah. So the end of last week's episode, I mentioned that there was a tragic thing that happened to an esports player named Double Lift. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, there's a video game called League of Legends. I've talked about it on here before. And one of the most popular players in North America, he's been playing since the very beginning of the game. His name is Double Lift. Um, he plays a role called AD Carry, which basically, if you play video games, it just means he does damage for his team, and his team tries to protect him so that he can help win the game. And he's very good. He's considered one of the best players in the world, and he's always been very good. So, on April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day, sadly. Um, his uh, his brother went a little ballistic, a little crazy, with a knife and killed their mom and injured their dad. And of course, now his brother his brother is in jail. And so that's a tragic thing to happen to anyone. It doesn't matter what your position is in life. Um, very tragic thing to happen. And it really it sucked even more for Double Lift because. 
Um, back when he first started playing League of Legends, he, he, he ran away from home because his parents wouldn't let him. They were like, yeah, you can't be a professional gamer. You have to do something else with your life. So he had to run away, and he had to sever his relationship with his family for a long time. And just over the past year or two, he's actually been like reaching back out to them and having like real conversations with them. So, you know, now his mom's gone. He's never going to get that relationship back, and he's like having to help out his dad now. So it's a, it's a lot for him to go through. And this all happened the day that he qualified, his, his team, Team Liquid, qualified for the finals at the North American League of Legends Championship Series. So, which means one week from the day that his mom was murdered, he had to play on the biggest stage in North America and try and win uh, his uh, fourth championship with a third team, which no one else has ever done before. And um, a lot of people were speculating maybe he wouldn't even play, maybe his team was going to have to find a replacement because, you know, there's a lot to go through. Um, it came out a couple of days later that he was going to play, he was going to be there, and then he went out on stage and put on the performance of a lifetime 3 owed their enemies, 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves didn't win a single game, and he won the championship, and obviously the crowd went wild. And it was a, you know, it was an interesting moment. And uh, still, um, he's still going through a lot, and he's, he's about to play internationally in a couple of weeks. Um, so all the best to Double F, and I'm glad that the story has a pseudo-happy ending. I mean, it's still, the whole, the whole situation's still bad, but I'm glad to see that there was some triumph that came out of it, and uh, Double F's a very strong player and strong person for what he's been through. Yeah, that's that's inspiring. I mean, it's a uh, it's pretty crazy, you know, to have to go from that yeah. kind of personal tragedy and then perform again, you know, uh, on a big stage. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm. I mean, at first I thought it. At first, when I was reading his tweet or his tweet longer, I was thinking that it was like the worst April Fool's joke ever, and then sad. I mean, it's turned out to be very true. And uh, and yeah, it just it's a it's a very bad situation, but you know something good came out of it, and hopefully this will stuff like this won't happen to people. You know, I know that's a weird thing to say, but hopefully things like that won't happen. Yeah, I hope that I hope things get better for him. You know, that uh, he manages yeah. his family manages to recover from a tragedy. You know, it's a terrible yeah. thing. Um, so just out of curiosity, um. I know you probably don't uh, have something prepared for this, but have you heard anything more, speaking of, you know, uh, esports, about the unionization process that's happening over there, or the, the, the Players League? No, it's still it's still slow going. Um, once again, I mentioned this in our past episode, the, one, the, big, the big thing you have to deal with when trying to unionize these people is that, once again, a lot of them are young. I mean, the youngest you can be to play in the LCS is 17. Uh, most sports, it's like 16 or 17. And a lot of them just... They don't understand what unions are. They don't understand the benefits of unionization. They don't understand, you know, why they shouldn't blindly trust their team owners to do the best, you know, to have their best interest. Um, even though there are plenty of good esports owners who treat their players very correctly, you know, not everyone is can be that good. So the as soon as um, I feel like they can educate people on the benefits of unions, and you know, just get people a little more excited about it things are going to move forward but for now it's very grassroots and uh yeah that's pretty much all, all i know for now the league of legends one is still in effect but once again it is it is run by riot so there is a little bit of bias involved so hopefully one day everyone's going to have their own uh, player run organization like uh, other sports have yeah the thing i've noticed about about unionization efforts uh when it comes to young people is that, like especially in jobs that are uh, uh i guess like I don't want to say this. I don't want to say it like privilege or something like that. Like tech, tech workers especially, right? Sure. It pays a lot. It's a, a pretty well-paying position uh, in a lot of tech jobs, right? Would you agree? Yeah. And so I feel like people get into those jobs and they think to themselves, "Oh, well, this isn't so bad. I mean, this is or this is, this is actually really good for me. You know, I don't have to worry too much about you know uh, a low paycheck or bad uh, or bad like working condition. So what do I need a union for? Why would I ever want to like uh, uh, join together with a union? I'm I'm good." I always see that happening, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's not disheartening or anything, but I figure, like, I think that people who have less cushy jobs are probably more likely to be want, or want more open to a union, but at the same time, I've seen more and more tech people who are starting to get around to the idea. Yeah, it's just good. I think that, um, I'm going to put on my conspiracy theory hat for a second, I do think that, um... Maybe it was just me. Once again, I only went to one high school in America in South Georgia, so maybe I'm just a little biased, but I don't think we were taught very well about unions. 
Um, we learned about like the labor movement and like the people who like ran a bunch of unions, but we were never really taught, you know, like this is what a union is, this is what it does, and this is how it can benefit you. Um, or, or I guess if you want to play both sides, how it could detriment you, although I don't see that position, but still we we literally didn't learn anything about what unions actually did and how they could help you in your future, which is something I think people should know and people should learn so they can decide for themselves if, you know, they want to unionize and if they want to, you know, make, make a movement within their own organization or industry. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of bias in education that I received. I don't know. I believe I read somewhere that. One of the one of the big um, uh, what is it uh, textbook manufacturers? Uh, what is it Mac- Macmillan? Uh, uh, McGraw Hill. McGraw Hill. That's the one. Uh, one of the big owners, or not owners, but like shareholders in their company, uh, are the Koch brothers. So that's uh, that's probably not good for any labor right. relations stuff. I'm making an millennials rule right now. Mm-hmm. They are the Koch brothers. Koch. Okay. Yes. Why not call them Koch brothers? Because their name, cock is fine too, but they are not Coke. There is no fucking world in which that is how you spell Coke. It's Germans, man. That's how it works. Never heard of them. Oh, okay. Okay? Sign with me. Koch. But yeah, so Koch brothers are uh, like big shareholders, so probably not going to be the best uh, uh, people to have on the board of of a company uh, that wants to educate children. Yeah, and we've already seen how like textbooks are like whitewashing history and how they're fucking um not treat not te- treating science the way it should you know a lot a big thing was in texas i know can't remember the name of the lady who like was having textbooks changed to say dumb stuff oh it's slavery about how they're not even like going in on slavery anymore um yeah so obviously really bad things are happening in the textbook world um which, I mean, luckily there is the internet, and people who are interested in learning more can just go on the internet and find out the truth about a lot of stuff. I know that um, um, I'm seven years older than you. Uh, so when I went to school, um, you know, it was the caveman times. No. Um, yeah. We we had a class where we got to learn about, uh, you know, bi- it was biology, obviously. The biology class where we learned about uh, oh, yes. biological stuff. And there was a lecture on uh, on evolution coming up. And this was probably two thousand and five or so, and yeah. we were we were given a per, like a permission slip to take home to our parents. That was like, hey, if you uh, if you don't want your child to listen to the evolution uh, lecture, just sign this paper, and then they'll be excused from class. And then I was there with like three other kids to learn about evolution out of a class of like twenty six people. Everyone else was in the gym playing basketball, and I was. At the time, I was like, this is fucked up. And as I've, I've gotten older, I'm like, that was really fucked up. Yeah, and I would like to say that we went to the same high school, and by the time I was in biology class, that was not a thing. Everyone learned about evolution no matter what. Did y'all learn about, uh, in health class, about sex ed stuff? Oh, yeah, we started doing sex ed in sixth grade. Because in my textbooks, they actually had blanked out those pages that depicted the genitalia. They had big old oh, stickers yeah. over them so you couldn't see anything. We loved the genitalia pages. Oh, man. We would just take our health book out and show it to everybody and draw stuff on it. But, yeah, we started learning in sixth grade something else that, I guess, changed drastically and should. I mean, honestly, I think people should start doing sex ed very early, especially in America. Mm-hmm. I've, I have no problem with the fact that America is a very sexually open con- country. But, hey, just teach people how to, you know, make smart choices and everything will be fine. I'm not sure I would describe us as sexually open. I mean, okay, I'll, m- maybe I should um, revise that. Um, once again, I've been talking to a lot of people from India, Pakistan, South Asia. Compared to those places, we might as well be sexual deviants. Okay, yeah, that's true. Um, and a, a lot of places are, are like that, especially in Asia and, and stuff. Um, you know, I know one, one big thing that I learned about India is nobody says the word condom. Like, you can't, like, even if you go to buy condoms, you don't say that word, or you don't say the, the Hindi version of that word, whatever language uh, you speak in your region of that, of that country, you don't ever say it. Like, you just, you have to come up with another word for it, and, like, people don't buy condoms that much. People, they, they don't have sex until they're, like, 25 or so, and if they do, it's, like, a big thing. Um, so, yeah, I think in America, considering, you know, I mean, people were having sex when I was in middle school. I mean, you know, it's just that thing. It was just, just how it is, so... I think sexually we're very open and, you know, I don't know. I guess that's how I see it. Well, I have a question for you then, since you you know a little bit now about uh, Hindu okay. stuff. What is their position on premarital sex? Uh, it doesn't exist. 
Uh, yeah, not a real thing. Cause I remember when, that, that sounds like a joke, but it is not. When I was a kid, I was pretty much told if you had premarital sex, you know, like your fucking eyeballs would explode or something, you know? Can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're very, very reserved. Um, don't talk about sex that much. Um, their movies, I've watched several Indian movies now, um, their sex scenes are, in my mind, they're very, they're very funny because, like, the two, the two people, they, they'll, they'll kiss a little bit, and then they'll hold hands, and then, like, lay in the bed, and then that's the sex scene. Oh, okay. Hot. That's the whole scene. Damn, I'm just horny thinking about that now. Exactly. And it, it, I don't know, it's, it's kind of wild, um... Considering that, you know, in America, there's movies like Superbad where fucking 17-year-olds are just banging each other. So, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'm thinking that probably, I'm, probably, I'm thinking that since it's of the same family tree as, as Christianity that we were, you know, we were raised in, Islam probably also isn't very uh, big on premarital sex either. Yeah, not, not big. Oh, man. What's, what, where are all the cool religions that are, like, about, about fucking, you know? Yeah, um, they. That's why there's so many atheists now. <laughs> you would, but you would think that a religion that was all about, hey, just fuck when you feel like it, would be super popular and have tons of people. Well, have, actually, there. What are we talking? There are religions like that, but they're called cults, mm. and they're highly frowned upon for whatever reason. I wonder. I should do more research. What did the Greeks think about it? You know, like was it cool or what? I guess so. I mean, the little the little that I know about ancient greeks is they just fuck each other a lot well, their gods are so. always fucking right exactly okay so it had to be some kind of chill system over there and i'm gonna admit myself here to being ignorant of, of a lot of things when i say this but the country that i think probably is the has the least religious society or did anyways at the time was the ussr and i don't know their policy or like what they thought about premarital sex i should look that up and find out i don't out. even know I don't even know what religions they practice in Russia. Well, they were they were openly a, an atheist. They were they were an atheist nation. Uh, so That's kind of cool. They kind of banned. Uh, they didn't ban religion, I think, but they had like a, a sort of like, hey, we're not we're not going to do that in our government stuff at all. Yeah. So I should look it up because I, I know they they apparently had pretty good uh, uh, like uh, maternity type aid for women because obviously you would think in a culture where you wanted to grow your population you would. Uh, have good maternity care for for women, uh, which we don't have here in America. So they had that, but I'm not sure what their position on was on premarital or or uh, uh, prophylactics. So I'll look into that. Yeah, I'll come. That'll be a good topic for future episodes. I'll come back with that. But we know. Uh, go ahead. All right. So we've been we've been beating around the bush or whatever it's called, and we haven't talked about our best friend. The first bionic man to be CEO of a company in America, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, it's so, dude. We haven't talked about what happened, or what I should say, what didn't happen mm. this week with Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, so uh, you go, go you, ahead. No, you go ahead. I think you have probably a better grasp of what happened. All right. So, as everyone knows, we talked about it before. Um, the what was it? Stanford Review, Columbia Review. What was it? It was one of those two. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? So. They came out and told people what everyone already knew, and that Facebook has all your data and sells it to other people and is reckless and not very smart with the way they uh, handle people's data. Um, nothing new to anyone who, you know, has eyes and ears and looks around every once in a while, but it caused up a big, it caused a big ruckus um, within the actual company of Facebook, and this past week, Mark Zuckerberg had to go to a couple of hearings, which, while... They achieved absolutely nothing for the liberty of Americans. They did make several good gifts mm -hmm. of Mark Zuckerberg trying his hardest to wear human skin and act like a person. Yeah. And, yeah, there, there's just... He, it, that man, I, the way he smiles, he has to have, like, a dungeon where he kills people. <laughs> like, And he actually just tries to harvest human emotion from them because he thinks it's, like, a tangible thing he can just inject in himself. I mean, I when I watched it, I was very disappointed because the average age of the person talking to Mark Zuckerberg was about fourteen thousand years old, and yes. I could I I hated it because they actually made him look good by comparison with how bad they were at asking basic fucking questions. It sucked. Yeah, and then also the I mean the whole time all I can think about is that these are the same people who approved of you know the NSA and all this other stuff 
and all, all their surveillance programs. So what they can't lecture Mark Zuckerberg on anything, you know? Yeah, I mean, they can't teach him a lesson. They can't give him any punishment because they do the same shit and it's almost almost worse than what he does. And I, I mean, it's, it's it was just it was a whole it was a whole hypocritical thing. It was something you can tell that it was just going through the motions. They had to do it because it was in the news or whatever. And it never I never really felt like they were going to achieve anything or that anyone was going to learn I, either side was going to learn a lesson from this. No, they weren't. And it just it and then these are the same people who don't know a goddamn thing about um, technology and like the ones who wanted to strike down net neutrality and did eventually allow it to do that uh, to, to be struck down. And they're over here trying to ask him like the the, the absolute most smooth brain questions I've ever heard in a fucking anything. They knew nothing about the topic. Yeah, and I will say it did create one incredible meme of. It was Ted Cruz asking asking Mark Zuckerberg a question, and he was like, "So, do you guys ever do something where, like, it says you like to tweet that you didn't actually like because you do love your wife?" <laughs> I at tweet where you see Mark Zuckerberg's incredible serial killer thing, where it's like uh, they have like a smile meter, and he smiles, and then as soon as he yeah. stops talking, oh yeah, and then it just goes back down. I mean, dude, that's actually so fucking super ass creepy though. Yeah, and there's like one where he's like trying to drink water like he's actually a real person. Yeah, and he just look he he just looks like a fucking what's that game Gary's mod character <laughs> trying to do something. Was it was it a Dave Chappelle bit where he was talking about how they tried to make Michael Jackson like a normal person who just breathed air and drank water? Yeah, I think so. Like that's what I've thought about watching Mark Zuckerberg. Was like you yeah. can't make him appear at even the little bit human. And the thing is, and I'll say this, you know, I've. You know, we've watched Mark Zuckerberg basically grow up. When he first got big, he was like, what, 20, 21? Yeah. He looked, I'll, I'll say it. We make a lot of jokes about how he's a robot and he's not a person. He looked kind of regular back then. Mm-hmm. But honestly, these days, he does look like he is wearing skin over something else. Like, he, he does not look like a person anymore. It's like it, it's probably because he doesn't think he's a person anymore. He probably thinks he's something better than people. It's almost like the more money you have, the less human you are. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're seeing, you're seeing a picture of Jeff Bezos from the '90s. Oh yeah, you mean oh un- Uncle Jeff, just looking good. He's got looking like a regular person. He looks like a regular just schlub. He's got some little bit of brown hair yeah. on his head. He's kind of pudgy. Look at him now. He's a muscle bound, bald headed freak. Like yeah. what happened? He looks like he owns a fight club where poor people fight each other, and then at the end he fights the winner. <laughs> the hobo murder den. Exactly. Oh my fucking and god! It, yeah, it's it's got to, it's like it's not something you can deny anymore. I mean, there's people who, not even just like these billionaires, even people who just get mildly successful and have you know maybe a couple of million dollars, they just look different after you know getting all that money because you know that's what it, that's what it can afford you and that's what it can do to you. And yeah, yeah. So and then the conclusion to this story is that there is no conclusion. Um, they talked to him for a while. Like, what was it, two or three days they had hearings, and then that was it. Because, once again, they can't do anything to him. No. There's no re- they, they have no right, they have no precedence, and they have no moral high ground over what he's doing. So, yeah, we're still going to continue to get our data stolen from us for a long time until, you know, we finally decide that it's too much. You know, so I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, you know who I really miss? Who? I really miss the uh, I miss the old billionaires, the ones that would take you off in the woods and and turn you into a hunting uh, uh it would hunt you for sport in the in the woods. But now we have Peter Thiel cop guys who just want to steal your blood, steal the blood of teenagers, and shut down media companies. Like we've lost some class to our billionaires, you know. We've lost some classical super villainy, and we're just now with this milk toast shit. Yeah, like John Rockefeller, if he wouldn't steal your data. He would just have somebody actually murder you <laughs> he was like, if he didn't want you. He would, and he'd eat you for dinner that night. He would hire a Pinkerton to come to your house and shoot you in the back of the head. Exactly. Oh, my God. Like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, not really, but it's better than what we have now. Yeah, it's just a bunch of, uh, of I don't know. It feels like uh, we've, we've lost some of the, uh, uh, the things that really – well, here's the thing, right? One of the things that motivated the early labor movement was how terrible things were and how how gross the the people above them were and their abuses of power, and that's still happening. Yes. But now it's just so lame uh, to to actually look at it. People are like, "Oh, who gives a shit? This is this is dumb, boring yeah. shit." You know? Who cares? 
just yeah. So what we what we what we're saying here, Lingo's podcast official uh, opinion is we need Mark Zuckerberg to drive a train through Allentown, Pennsylvania, with a machine gun on it and just unload on people, and that'll get the, the voters motivated. Okay, that reminds me. I actually have an interesting local story. Oh shit. Um, local news. So, um, in I live in uh, North Carolina, and literally about thirty feet. From the building where I work is a bar, um, a sports bar, where me and my coworkers like to go sometimes, you know, after work, just play some darts, play some pool. On the weekends, we go there, you know, drink a little bit. It's a good it's a good place. It's a very classic bar. And then I think it, it was Wednesday night, I was driving home. I was driving a friend to their place, and she lives, like, right past the bar. And um, there was, like, police cars and fire trucks outside of the place. Um, things were going wild, and we were like, what's going on? The next day, we get to work, and we read the story on the local news website that um, a man went into this bar and asked for some drinks, and he was apparently just drunk out of his mind, and they said, yeah, we're not going to serve you. So he's like, all right. He got outside, got in his truck, and then drove it through the front door. Oh, shit. Uh, so, yeah, he just destroyed the whole front of this fucking bar, and they're having it. They're having obviously they're having to like rebuild that right now. And there's like news crews out there. And we were like talking to the guys from the news, and they were like, "Yeah, this shit's just fucking wild." So yeah, basically, some drunk dude just drove his truck into a bar um, just because they wouldn't serve him. I mean, hey, uh, I guess when you're out of options, right? <laughs> what else are you gonna fucking do? Yeah, I just and it's so funny because me, I, I always want to think like, what's going through that guy's mind? Like he's already clearly driving and very drunk. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what I want to do today? I want to throw away the the welfare of my truck and of my criminal record right now just because they won't serve me. Well, if you think about it, um, going to prison is the ultimate uh, rehab program. Yeah. And it's one of the only places that you can actually get taken care of in America. You for, know? A certain ex- for a certain... For a certain... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's, it's shitty and it's awful, but you're at least guaranteed a couple of things that a lot of people aren't. You know the sad thing is... Is we used to think it used to be a joke about prison that uh, oh at least it's three square meals a day and a bed yeah that's becoming less true I think actually it actually is especially at these for profit prisons which is a a phrase that shouldn't exist Mm-mm, no 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 I was we talking about this other it's day. like for profit university that shouldn't be real yeah the uh, the official lineals uh, opinion on this is that um, all drugs should be decriminalized we should release all prisoners that are that are on uh, release all prisoners. No. Full stop. <laughs> release all prisoners that are locked up on drug-related charges. Probably also rate, uh, like uh, pay them for the time they spent in prison that was lost to something that they shouldn't have been locked up for. And then just like watch watches. First of all, our economy does way better because there are more people in the workforce now. And also how our prison population plummets. We don't have to pay for those people anymore. Yeah. Um, I know it's been pointed out for a long time. There's no reason that people like uh, John Boehner and all these big tobacco companies should be able to move into the marijuana business. Yeah. Um, when there's plenty of people who are in prison for it, you know, who are just trying to make a living for themselves, and these guys are already rich and will only become richer off of it. I'm, I'm um, making a, a lineals rule: is that he's John Boehner. Yes, I'm fine with this. I called him John Boehner for so long before I realized it was John Boehner. Which, so I'm fine with it being John Boner. Listen, linguists out there, listen to Lino's podcast. Explain to me how B O E H N is Bane and not fucking Bone. Yeah, and explain to me that Koch thing. Is that also a German name? You think Boner or Boehner? I don't care, dude. What have the Germans? I don't care about where people's names came from. What have the Germans not done to us at this point? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love when I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to some dumb white person, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, I'm like part German and Danish." I'm like, "No, you're not. You're fucking American and you're white. Shut the fuck up, okay?" Oh yeah, man, Europe. You're none of this stuff. <laughs> Europe cares a lot about which nation you're from for some reason. That's what I'm saying. If you're in Europe, that's fine. But you're in America. You were born in America. Your parents were born in America. You're fucking American and you're white. Stop trying to make it seem like you're something else. I mean, now we've welcomed the Irish into the into the white race. I think we're pretty much done with adding new people, right? At this point, yeah. They they were they were like a last round draft pick, but they finally finally got into the white race. Oh my god, dude! How wild would it have been to be back in those times when like the Irish were discriminated against? How could you tell? How would you know? That's what I'm saying. And like. I have, I have a problem telling, like, Jewish people apart from other people. How did they... 
How are they just like, yeah, I just hate these Jewish people. I guess maybe I guess maybe if you knew their name, you could tell. Mm-hmm. But I just I can't look at someone and tell you if they're Jewish. I don't know. I guess that's just not a talent that I have. And then again, I didn't grow up in a place where there were a lot of Jewish people anyway. And then you get you get um, into the, the thing of like how they know. I guess it's because they had records because they're German. But like you know who was who had Jewish blood that wasn't actually Jewish. Like who cares about blood? It's a religion. Yeah, I don't get it, man. Uh, people were very dumb back in the back in the day. Yeah, were. Oh, that's not true. anymore. That's true. Yeah, that's right. We're done. There's no more Nazis. No, it's all good. People are geniuses now. <laughs> yeah, it's all. It's great. No more racism. We killed that. Ended in 1968. Just like told me in school, hasn't been any more uh, racial uh, animus yeah. at all. I do love how they kind of like low key try to teach you that in school that there's no more racism. Oh, I was told that like explicitly. I was like, it, the Civil Rights Act passed and it's done. Racism yes. was thing in the as end. As soon as that document was signed. Every racist sentiment in America was gone. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Not this true. This is not true at all. Um, so I want to talk to you about something, Seth. I don't, and I right. don't have a good talk segue into it other than we hate capitalism here. So let's talk about how bad capitalism is. All right. I'm always down for that. So, you know, you know you've heard, I assume, a little bit about gene therapy, right? This promising new sort of like technology they're working on yeah i've heard a little bit about it you know we're going to be able to one day modify people's genes to fix problems especially like diseases right we're gonna be able to correct yes genetic disorders well um goldman sachs boy we love goldman sachs around here right goldman sachs thank god i'm gonna steal a joke from jimmy fallon real quick from like 10 years ago okay thank god for the g in goldman sachs Oh, man. That's good. Um, so, yeah, Goldman Sachs analysts attempted uh, to, to sort of, like, address a problem that, you, that people might have come up with with gene therapy. If you're, if, you're, if you're an evil monster person, you probably thought of this. And let's all get right into this article. This article is, yeah. uh, um, is by Tay Kim over at CNBC. Um, man, Tay Kim, that's my new rap name. <laughs> Tay Kim. Uh, so yeah, there, this article goes, uh, uh, quote, is curing patients a sustainable business model? Quote, analysts ask an April 10 report entitled the genome revolution. Quote, the potential to that analyst turned out to be a Scooby-Doo villain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, fucking Mr. Mathers all along. Uh, quote, the potential to deliver one shot cures is one of the most attractive aspects of gene therapy, genetically engineered cell therapy and gene editing. However, such treatments offer a very different outlook with regard to recurring revenue versus chronic therapies. Quote, analyst Salvine Richter wrote in then it's note to clients Thursday, Tuesday, quote, while this proposition carries tremendous value for patients and society, it could represent a challenge for genome medicine developers looking for sustained cash flow. Oh, no. Whatever will they do when disease is gone? Dude, fucking wrap your head around this idea that it carries tremendous value for patients and society, but it's not good if you're trying to make money. Yeah. What? And I mean, it, this is a this is a very old argument. I mean, I've I've heard stuff like this since you know, hell, probably since I was in like early early middle school. Of you know, even if the cure for cancer existed, it would never get out because then you wouldn't make money off of chemotherapy anymore. Right? Yeah. Um, it's this, it's the same principle as that. Um, basically, we there's a problem, several problems, any any kind of medical problem that requires you know, expensive treatments. Um, and it, it was a problem. We found a way to attack that problem. It happened to be, you know, the first way we found always happens to be expensive because that's how, you know, technology works. Um, people start making money off of that approach, and then they don't want to change the approach because any change to it means they'll make less money. Yeah, exactly. That's just, that's the basic cycle of any problem with people's health. And, you know, I don't want to be the first one to say and I don't want to point it out since it's so obvious that it's disgusting that we prioritize how much money a company can make over the well-being of the citizens. I can't imagine. I, how did the guy who wrote that not burst into flames immediately when he wrote it? Like, come on. Uh, but this continues. Uh, Richter cited Gilead Sciences. Is it Gilead the, na- the nation from fucking Handmaid's Tale? Um, it is. Cited their treatments for hepatitis C, which achieved cure rates of more than 90%. Now, hold on. Out of context of this, isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, 90% is fucking incredible. Of hepatitis C, which is a, a, a huge disease for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but, but continuing, the company's U.S. sales of these hepatitis C pe- pe- treatments peaked at $12.5 billion in 2015, but have been falling ever since. Goldman estimates that the U.S. sales for these treatments will be less than $4 billion this year, according to the t- table uh, in their report. Quote, Guild is a case in point where the success of its hepatitis C franchise has gradually exhausted the available pool of treatable patients, quote, the analyst wrote. Quote, in the case of infectious diseases such as hepatitis C, curing existing patients also decreases the number of carriers able to transmit the virus to new patients. Thus, the incident pool also declines. Where an incident pool remains stable, e.g. in cancer, the potential for a cure poses less risk to the sustainability of a franchise. And I actually just threw up during that, during the part where they said that less cases means there's less people to give it to them that that is that is one of the most discussed i just can't i can't imagine even typing that sentence out on a computer because yeah, it it, oh it, it makes sense it logically makes sense right it, it, it is true that if you cure people they can't go and you know spread the disease more and give you more patients right but in any society that that that, that didn't put money over human lives that would be considered a great achievement yeah, that that's, that's it. no, and it, it and it shouldn't be that it, it should be considered that it it is it is a good thing. It is obviously a tangible good thing that you can point out that your company did. Like you can actually say, hey, we cured this much hepatitis C this this year, and eventually we are going to destroy hepatitis C, and then that'll be the end of our company. We'll. Or not the end, because people will still get it. You know, we, you could just have the medicine, and anyone who needs it will have it for the rest of time. Can you imagine if the folks who did that, who who did what I consider to be one of the greatest achievements in human history, they when they killed smallpox? Can you imagine if they had been like, "Wait, guys, hold on, we can't cure smallpox because then we can't sell any more smallpox vaccine." Yeah, I'm, I'm actually. Oh god. And I'm I'm actually very interested, um, in how things would have turned out if people had this mindset, you know, back then. And with stuff like the flu. You know, the flu that once almost killed, like, 80% of all people. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, what if we didn't want to give everybody that cure because it would stop making money, you know? Well, the thing about the the, the, the uh, um, smallpox vaccine was that that was a, a, an uh, effort undertaken by the World Health Organization. Which is, yes, which is what's going to be my point about all these things, is if your company develops... A new technology or a new vaccine that cures people—that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Then you you should relinquish that vaccine and all of your work to the World Health Organization, or they can contract you whatever you want to do, and then they should undertake people who will continue to get this vaccine for the rest of time. You know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying that who is perfect. I'm not saying that they are perfect in all aspects. Don't tell you, if you're out there just for this podcast yeah. and you're like, but what about when they did this? Okay, I understand. Totally valid. Yeah. But in principle, a, a governmental body or a non-governmental body, something that's not not for profit, should be allowed to fix problems instead of finding ways to sustain them at a low-grade level of misery that you'll just, just you'll get by with, you know? Yeah, and kind of harkens back to the instant classic Steven Spielberg movie, Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, in which the main character Wade Watts says that. He lives in a time where people stopped trying to fix problems and just decided to outlive them. And, you know, with reports like this, I think we might already be living in that time. Yeah. So there's one last little part here I want to read to you because it's very important yes. to, my, to my analysis here. Um, the report suggested three potential solutions for biotech firms. Solution one, address large markets. Hemophilia is a 9 through $10 billion market growing at 6% to 7% annually. Solution two, Address disorders with a, high, with a high incidence. Spinal muscular atrophy affects the cells in the spinal cord, impacting the ability to walk, eat, or breathe. And solution three, constant innovation and portfolio expansion. There are hundreds of inherited retinal diseases. Pace of innovation will also play a role as future programs can offset the declining revenue trajectory of prior assets. So what they're basically saying around here is, if you've cured a disease, this is actually good, this is good. If you've cured a disease... Let it be cured and find a new one to work on. Fix that one next. I like that. That's I'm in agreement with that. But they're doing it for a profit incentive. And the thing is, 
is that if this works, if it's, if we achieve the pie in the sky goal that gene therapy proposes, that it will fix our diseases and cure our ailments, eventually you're going to run out of them. So what happens next? What do you do then? You should cheer cheer, cheer up and say, hey, we just, you know, did something that, that never has been done before in the history of humanity. Like rest on your laurels, um, right? Exactly. You should be like, we just did an incredible service for all of humanity and we are we're we are like you know pioneers and the thing about it that you shouldn't think about your next dollar yeah what gets me about this is that it, it we there's always this phrase i hear in a lot of marxist uh, discourse which is the contradictions of capitalism and this is a definite huge contradiction because if you're going to cure the if you're eventually going to kill your own job you know you've you're going to commit suicide through doing this and the problem for me isn't that they would do that. If capitalist companies would would achieve a goal like cure a disease and then be done and quit and be fine, okay, that w- that would be great. But that's not how capitalism works, right? So the problem that I see here is that they're going to they're going to notice this is coming and see what's going on. And instead of curing these problems, they're going to tr- find ways to turn them into manageable conditions. You know, they can continue to profit off of in perpetuity, like a subscription-based service for your fucking uh, 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 hepatitis. Yeah. Oh, man, I can't... I'm just so, I'm so interested in the day that everything is a subscription service, right? Oh, my God. Hey, here's your fucking cancer box. You, you, yep. Your, your, your cancer crate. Welcome to Cancer Crate uh, here. Uh, we're going to have all your treatments, all your chemo, all your radiation uh, uh, therapies right here in one little box. Only, you know, uh, $400 a month. And uh, sign up now and you'll get an extra fucking, uh, I don't know, colostomy bag for when your fucking uh, intestines give out. It'll be called uh, Cancer without the E. Just C-A-N-C-R. You, That's what it'll be called. My, I've almost wanted to shit myself when you said that because it made me so angry. Oh. It's actually so. That's that's actually something we do at work a lot. We always think about what what you like. We think of an app idea and think of what we you could call it. And it's always just like take one vowel out of the name and you have an app. You know. You could even get worse and just take out the A too. Yeah, cancer. God damn it. Works. Uh, you know if we if we were actually capitalists, we could make a lot of money, but we won't. We don't sell out here on the Illinials podcast. That's the thing. It's it's so funny once you're once you're not a capitalist you have so many good capitalist ideas yeah and you do not want to uh, and you just and then you you're disgusted with yourself for having these ideas because you realize that they're probably going to be real someday yeah yeah it's the contradictions of uh of our philosophy as well uh yeah but I, I got a pretty good episode this time I think around right yeah you know what we're putting a cap on it to the can from New Orleans to New York. <laughs> Go ahead and do your your ending thing, then I'll do mine. I'm going to do the ending spiel, which is we are on social media. You can find me on uh, Twitter at MCSurf. I'm also on Twitch. At Life of Seth. Oh, okay. Go ahead. At Life of Seth. I'm also on Twitch at SurfMC. And uh, uh, the person who does our art is Marcus Barkley. He is uh, uh, very aloof and uh, hard to locate, but I'm I'm working on a spell that I think will uh, finally lock his position down uh, to a Twitter handle at some point. Um, Sounds good. If you like the show, uh, you know, share it around, tell your friends, hey, tweet at us, let us know that you like it, leave a comment on SoundCloud, rate it, I guess, if you can do that on like iTunes. Uh, give us a rating. I guess that'll help a little bit. Try to get a message yeah. out there. Going to get some YouTube stuff started, which is just going to be us putting up the, the audio of this uh, for people to listen to on, on YouTube. So I don't folks like to do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. From New Orleans to New York, fuck the New England Patriots, and you can lead a horse to water, but it won't get under it. Good night. Good night.